Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Lyon is a functional medicine physician specializing in the concept of muscle-centric medicine, which focuses on the largest organ in the body, skeletal muscle, as the key to health and longevity. Her individualized wellness plans include interventions using high-quality protein diets, supplements, and resistance training to improve health, reduce chronic disease risk, and boost overall energy and wellness by focusing on building and maintaining healthy body composition and lean muscle. In her practice, Dr. Lyon leverages evidence-based medicine with emerging cutting-edge science to restore metabolism, balance hormones, and optimize body composition with the goal of lifelong vitality. In this episode, we talk all about the benefits of having adequate muscle mass and what it takes to build it and keep it. We discuss what you should be eating, and Dr. Lyon gives us a preview of what a day of eating in her life looks like and what specific nutrients help support our muscles. Dr. Lyon explains that our current society is attacking the wrong issue when it comes to many metabolic diseases and obesity. We need to think more about adding more muscle rather than losing weight. And if you've been listening to our podcast or follow me on social media, you know I'm all about adding things to your life versus losing or taking things away. And why? Because it's not only more enjoyable, but more sustainable. And one thing I learned is it's not just about having more muscle, it's what you do with it. So stay tuned to find out the how and why of muscle-centric medicine. All right, welcome, Dr. Line. I am so happy to have you on the show. I've actually been looking forward to this for a long time, but I know you had a baby, then I had a baby, um, which remind me, how old is your youngest now? Uh, seven months. Oh my gosh. And then the other one is a little over two. <laughs> and you know, we were just joking before the podcast. It's like, if you're wrong, just stay wrong. Just mm-hmm. go all in. Yeah. Just, I, I, just do it. Right. Yeah. I would say I went all in. <laughs> well, yeah. And that'll be such an interesting, we'll definitely cover in this episode, kind of how you've adapted yeah. to life with two under two and with all the tips we're going to talk about, but I'd love to just right. start off with you telling everyone a little bit more about yourself and how you got into, you know, teaching people about muscle centric medicine, um, and just your journey with it all. Um, I'm happy to share. So obviously my name is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and I am founder of the Institute for muscle centric medicine. This is a think tank content generating machine. And where did this come from? People are like, well, I've never heard what does muscle-centric medicine mean? Muscle-centric medicine is this concept that muscle is the largest organ in the body. It is the organ of longevity. Just like the thyroid is an organ, the heart is an organ, the brain is an organ. Muscle is actually the cornerstone for all wellness. So when we think about, for example, diseases of aging, We think about diabetes, cardiovascular disease, heart disease. People think that these are diseases of adiposity, right? Of this concept of being overweight. But in fact, it's not that we're over fat. It's that we're under muscled and the diseases that we're seeing of Western society are not diseases of adipose tissue or being overweight. They're diseases of skeletal muscle first. Interesting. Yeah. Right. 
actually, we've been trying to answer the wrong question. For decades and decades, everybody's talking about adiposity and weight loss and how can we lose more weight and focused on body fat. That's actually the wrong conversation. It's not about being over fat. It is about being under muscled. And by shifting the focus and correcting the paradigm of thinking, we can answer the correct question. The real question is, how do we optimize for skeletal muscle? And this is a long way of saying at the very core, this is where muscle-centric medicine was born. And I had a couple, you know, I did all the years of higher education. I did 17 years and that's a really long time. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, including my own kids. But ultimately what happens is you see over a period of a decade or two decades, you kind of see where there's space and where things aren't right and where we're really failing people. And there was this moment that I had in my fellowship. I did my fellowship at WashU in nutritional sciences and geriatrics where I was very attached to one of the research subjects. And I just thought she was an amazing human. And I imaged her brain. She was in her late forties, had three kids. She'd always put herself last. And I did some fMRI studies on her brain and her brain looked like an Alzheimer's patient. And I knew within the next 10 years or so, she would really struggle, struggle to remember her child's name or her children's name or to do some other basic tasks. You know, obviously I didn't know the time frame, but I knew it was going to happen. And that was the moment where muscle-centric medicine was born that I realized that we had failed her. We'd constantly been telling her to lose weight. She had very little muscle mass. She had a lot of fat mass, but she'd only always struggled with that 10 to 15 pounds. So there you have it. And this is where the concepts were actually born. So it was from a first lifetime of really understanding the foundation and then a second lifetime of really implementing into practice. Love it. So let's, you know, let's unpack that a bit. If no, just the benefits of having more muscle, but particularly for people in those situations, right. With, you know, that patient you talk about or someone with diabetes, um, or cardiovascular disease, how can having more muscle benefit us in general, but then also benefit people in those disease states? Right. Well, the reason we care about skeletal muscle is yes, looking good in a bikini, or maybe Andrew doesn't wear a bikini, but looking good in, you know, or at the beach. But actually when we think about skeletal muscle, we uh, always go to locomotion, right? Who doesn't think about what does it mean to be a good athlete lifting a weight or, you know, how can we be more physical? But actually that is important. However, secondary in my mind, skeletal muscle is so important for metabolic regulation. What does that mean? That means skeletal muscle is the site where there's 80% of glucose disposal. What does that mean? That means that the carbohydrates that you eat, you have to dispose of them somewhere. The place you dispose of it is skeletal muscle, fatty acids, skeletal muscle uses fatty acids. If you get injured, if you get sick, if you're on bed rest, your body goes to your skeletal muscle for those amino acids. So skeletal muscle is so much more than just looking good in a bikini or being able to be athletic. It truly is your metabolic regulator. And these diseases of aging and these significant illnesses and the things that people struggle with, like let's say it's weight, really is about skeletal muscle. And so when you optimize for skeletal muscle, you improve flexibility. 
no pun intended. I'm not even talking about the physical flexibility. I'm talking about the way in which you go through life, the things that you can consume, how much rest that you can take, um, how resilient you are if you fall, how resilient you are if you, you know, become on bed rest because you break a leg. So that is some of the reasons that we think about why is muscle so important. And, you know, I think a lot of people forget the fact or don't know about the fact, and I'd love for you to discuss it more about as we get older. Yes you lose muscle mass pretty quickly. Yes. You I do. mean, it's, yes, ma'am. And, and you see it. Like I even see it in, um, my father, for example, he is mm-hmm. so physically active Gabrielle, but I would say in the past and he notices it, like he hates it, but in the past, yeah. uh, you know, probably 10 years, his muscle mass right. is just dwindling and dwindling and he's still exercising. He's still mm-hmm. lifting weights. You know, we're trying to get his nutrition a little bit better. And yes. we'll talk about how big of a factor that is in Mm -hmm. building new muscle, but can you just, you know, remind people or tell people about how much muscle mass we lose as we age? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what happens as we age. Exactly what your dad is experienced is this change in muscle fibers and people get kind of skinny and scrawny. And we've seen it with our parents, right? We've seen it with our grandparents. And this is a trajectory change of skeletal muscle, right? the tissue actually changes, the organ system changes. But what happens is, is we have to understand that not only does the, not only do the fibers change, but the way in which nutrients are sensed changes. Okay. This is very interesting for some people because typically people will say like your dad has probably said, well, I've been eating protein my whole life. I don't understand. Now, all of a sudden it's really hard for me to maintain my skeletal muscle. He might not be saying that, but he might just be, you know, saying, I, you know, I used to be able to lift 30 pounds and now I can lift 15. Well, what happens is, is skeletal muscle becomes resistant to being able to efficiently use protein. And this is a concept called anabolic resistance. What this means is that in order to get aging muscle to act and recognize protein, the way in which that muscle did when it was younger it requires very specific and strategic interventions. For example, when you were younger or probably last week, we've all had, you know, the first meal of the day and people will say, well, I had breakfast and I got my protein in, I had two eggs and I don't know, insert the rest. What would you say? Kate, you say, I I don't know. I like what? Two eggs. They had had two eggs. You know, I was healthy. I had some spinach and- um, a slice, a slice of toast. There you go. So now you've gotten maybe 20 grams of protein. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. (laughs) When you're younger, that's fine. You are going to be able to grow muscle, you know, assuming that your calories are in check, you know, that you've got enough, you'll be able to, you know, have kind of the body that you want. And we've all experienced that all of a sudden something happens. Arguably it's not all of a sudden, but Then something happens and individuals that have say 20 grams of protein, the skeletal muscle doesn't actually respond in the robust way that it used to. Essentially your sub threshold of the whole situation of the whole mTOR stimulation, your sub threshold. So for example, if your dad is having two eggs, piece of toast and some spinach, he is below the amino acid threshold necessary to overcome that aging factor, that anabolic resistance. 
So if he eats the way that he did in his 20s and continues on that behavior, he will continue to lose more skeletal muscle. And it's interesting because there's a lot of argument kind of in the space. You'll hear people say, well, it doesn't matter when you eat protein, as long as you're getting it in a 24-hour period. Well, when you're young, that's probably true. But when you're older or you have an injury, or even if you're obese, then things change a little bit. There's a blunted response. So after you're done training is really when you should have a bolus of protein. And it actually increases the nutrients to that muscle. So if your dad wants to have the two eggs, spinach and toast, and he wants to be sub threshold at 20 grams, as opposed to an ideal amount, which be, which would be anywhere from 30 to 55 grams of protein. Then if he trains, he's utilizing his skeletal muscle, he feeds it. There's nutrition flowing, there's blood flowing. It can actually have a more robust response because he's done resistance training. Got it. So my next question would be, so if your threshold, right, your sub threshold increases as you age, can you also take in, cause I know you just said anywhere from 30 to 55 grams yeah. where, you know, some research says above 40 grams for a young, healthy person, your body won't absorb more protein than that. But does that increase as well? So you can take in more. So you absorb all the protein that you eat. The question becomes, what is the next benefit? So the 30 to 55 is talking about muscle stimulation. There's benefits of protein well beyond muscle, but for the sake of the the podcast time, I can only focus on the one thing that's really going to move the needle for people. And that is getting a very good sense and understanding and evidence-based information as it relates to protein. So we absorb everything that we ingest as it relates to muscle protein synthesis or stimulating muscle. Then at the very minimum, when you're older, you need 30 grams, 30 grams of protein. So that's a little over four ounces. Okay. Of high quality protein or whey protein. It could be whey protein. Um, or it could be a plant-based protein, which you're using amino acids, right? Extra amino acids. When you get higher to say 40, 55 grams of protein per meal, now you're looking at more of an optimal stimulation. So there's a minimal stimulation to actually get the the turnover to happen. And then there's a more optimal stimulation that happens later on. Got it. And I would say, you know, my dad, he eats two very large meals of 55 grams. Maybe he'll have a snack, maybe he won't, but he really works hard to hit those thresholds so that he can maintain his muscle. Yeah. And that's where, do you find that's like just where people are falling short? I mean, I see it in my clients, even just getting their necessary amount of protein for each meal. So it is, it's like the two eggs. I'm like, well, let's at least get three. Let's at least try three as a minimum. I know. And they think it's so much, um, but making sure too, right? Like protein for satiety, like there's so many other benefits for our immune system. Yes. But that is one thing I'll find a lot of people when they're trying to build more muscle, they're trying to write like change, whether it's their body type or mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, even just feel full after meals, it's always protein where they seem to fall short. So yeah, what, and can we do someone who only eats plant-based protein and then someone who eats animal protein as well? Yeah. Like what would be two good example days for people um, to get enough protein to get about like, let's say 25 to 35 grams. Yeah. Well, the first question is, 
is the end are we talking about a vegan individual or a more vegetarian individual who's eating eggs and fish or more pescatarian? Let's so that, yeah, let's let's yeah. do it. Let's do a vegan individual and then someone who eats all animal proteins. Okay. So an individual who is vegan really needs to supplement. However, I will say that there is a, a few new studies coming out that shows for a period of time, maybe, you know, eight weeks or so that the body can generate its own essential amino acids through the gut microbiome for very short periods of time. These are only proof of concepts, but I, I think that it's very fascinating because we've all seen individuals that thrive on a vegan diet, right? I mean, there are not very many, but there are some. And I, I always find that's fascinating as how can, you know, there's so much diversity. For an individual who is vegan to get optimized protein is very tricky from my perspective, from the perspective that I am coming from, which is purely based on ingestion. Mm -hmm. So I am now talking about an ingestion based protein intake versus the actual gut microbiome production. Okay. So that is for another podcast, but very interesting. And people are not talking about this yet, but I do think it's going to in part be the future of part of the discussion. We just don't know yet enough. Adding in supplementation like essential amino acids, like branch chain amino acids, and really controlling for calories on a more vegan diet is, is really what they're looking to do. You can get plant-based proteins. You can use tofu, you can use tempeh, but again, the volume of the amount of food you're going to need, it could be anywhere from 35% more food. Is that a problem? Well, if calories are an issue, it's a problem. And if carbohydrates are an issue, that's a problem. Because if you are looking to get your protein from say quinoa, you're going to need six cups of quinoa for a small chicken breast, just based on the amino acid content. So a strategy for a vegan would be to use the tempeh and then utilize um, either an essential amino acid or a branch chain amino acid scoop with that meal. Got it. Okay. That, that's one strategy. And then what about for someone who eats all different types of animal proteins, what would be a great example day for them to get, be getting in enough protein? The first thing that you have to think about is what is your ideal body weight? Yeah. So if an individual's ideal body weight is, let's say for me is 115 pounds, I eat 115 grams of protein. I just make it really simple and it's defendable in the scientific literature, which I really appreciate versus, you know, going lower than that. You know, you can't arguably go lower because some of the new data that's emerging really is going to cause this reevaluation and is causing a reevaluation of the RDA, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram, which like is, that way, is, in my opinion, way is low. way too low. Way I'm, too I'm low and right the aging, there with you. Yeah. And so the aging communities have, you know, published position statements saying that, you know, they individuals probably need double that just at kind of a baseline, not even an optimal level. That's what I would think for an individual who does not have dietary restriction. You asked me what is an ideal eating day. Well, it could be really anything. I will say the first thing is you want to make sure that you anchor your day in protein and you want to make sure that you get whatever time your first meal is between 30 and 55 grams of protein for that first meal. That first meal is actually most important because if you get that protein right on that first meal, then you have a better chance of having balanced blood sugar. You know, and I try not to speak in extremes and I try not to make it so that it's all black and white because truly these 
patterns and there is individuality. It's not always black and white, but we can easily say that to manage insulin and to manage blood sugar, a great way to do that would be to optimize protein and also for some of the satiation of factors, satiation factors that protein does have, those amino acids that protein has, um, the way in which they stimulate gut hormones, the way in which they um, stimulate the brain, all kinds of reasons why protein would be better to have first. Then you can add in a little bit of carbohydrates. I think of carbohydrates in a meal threshold you know, amount, which is anything less than 40 grams of protein or 40 grams of carbohydrates is more ideal because you don't want to have that robust insulin response. Yeah. So, and especially like you said, yeah. early in the day, because it just gets you on, we call it the blood sugar roller coaster, totally. but it, it, we talked about this in an episode all about blood sugar, but it does, it gets you, you know, maybe though I will say the, with the exception. And if you agree, if it's post-workout, if you're getting in a good workout early yeah. in the morning, right. And your muscles are creating space yeah. to get in that glucose, totally fine. But like something, you know, one of those quote unquote, not that it's not healthy, but healthy meals that people think they're doing great for themselves is a bowl of oatmeal. And Jane, are you listening to this? That's my husband. <laughs> He's like and, in the corner eating oatmeal. I'm well, like, oh and but you know what? God. It's like, but there's yeah. different ways to do it. It's not saying don't right. ever have oatmeal. It's just right. saying, okay, well, let's try and maybe have that oatmeal. Yeah, maybe when it's post-workout, let's add in some nut butter. Let's add in, you know, maybe some collagen protein powder to get up your protein or have eggs on the side. You can always adapt and make things work, but you have to make sure that protein is present. And there are a lot of carb-filled, particularly breakfasts that yeah. people don't realize it's like you're hurting yourself in two ways by the lack of protein at breakfast, but then also by really just putting you on that blood sugar roller coaster by having a huge carb filled, carb filled meal first thing in the morning. Yeah. So that's a, that's the, not the way that I would ever recommend <laughs> someone to do that. Um, you know, you mentioned collagen and I actually don't count collagen towards protein intake because it is nearly it's, defi it's deficient in tryptophan yeah. and it's extremely low in it's like it's like know. an added bonus it's an added bonus and an it, added it, bonus yes yeah. and it has benefits that perhaps we don't totally know you it's know. very true but yeah. no i like that too i always it's like just an extra that's how i look at it yeah. it's like it's just an extra it's getting you you know some more amino acids but yep. yes it's important to know it's not going to be, it's not going to replace if you are using, you know, a protein powder in a smoothie or, um, you know, whatever protein you're using, which I think is a big misconception is that people think it is like a protein powder and that just yes. adding their collagen is their protein source. Right. But just look at it as, as that added extra. Which I'm actually excited that people are utilizing collagen. It makes totally. me excited. I mean, but, to get yeah. more glycine and yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I was just talking about something that while they're pregnant, how, you know, how it can be great too, just to get an extra glycine and even postpartum mm -hmm. too. Um, especially if you're, you know, if you're not into eating, you know, right. meats on the bone and things like that. Um, okay. So we got breakfast covered. Yeah. What about some lunch, dinner, snack ideas to get in more protein? So the same thing, any animal base, you know, we eat a lot of bison around here. We eat a lot of beef. We eat a lot of eggs. Don't really eat a ton of fish. Not that there's anything wrong with fish. So it's just about being protein forward. 
And again, you know, we're not eating throughout the day. We might eat two times, maybe three times a day, really defining what an individual's goal is. If an individual's goal is metabolic correction or weight loss, then that's where I think even distribution of protein comes in, whether it's 30 to 40 grams per meal um, versus if you are looking to, you know, perhaps maintain weight or protect against sarcopenia, then you're thinking about bigger, more robust meals, but perhaps fewer times a day. And then if you're looking to build muscle, then three, four times, you know, feeding four times a day would be totally adequate. Yeah. So defining your goals would be number one and then determining whatever your goal is. I I don't agree with one meal a day. I think that if someone's going to do that, that's for a very short period of time because it, it doesn't optimize for skeletal muscle. And as we age, that becomes very difficult to reverse. So and to absorb everything right in one sitting, yep. it's, I like mean, a, you, it's an overload. Yes. It is a lot of food. And also it limits some of that thermic effect of food. There's a concept called thermic effect of feeding thermic effect of food. And that's really, for example, protein has the highest. So for example, if you're eating a hundred, you know, hundred calories of steak, your body might use 20 calories just to meta- metabolize it. And I, and I use the word metabolize, but what I really mean is I believe, and so does Don Lehman. And, and we talk about this, that it actually stimulates muscle protein synthesis in that meal. So then it accounts for kind of this 20% utilization. So you require and utilize 20% of the calories that it would take from that meal. So you're actually only getting 80 calories. You've eaten hundred, but because you've eaten protein and because of proteins effect on the body, you actually are only getting 80 calories from that versus carbohydrates, right? Versus mm-hmm. carbohydrates and fat carbohydrates might be 5%. Fat is probably around three, you know, and let's, let's dive into protein and metabolism. I'm a big metabolism junkie and protein is one of the biggest things behind it. So, and I, I would love for people to focus more so on optimizing their metabolism than looking at calories and constantly looking at their weight and more so think about how can I optimize metabolism? Cause that's where kind of like you were saying in the beginning, Gabrielle, it's like, that's when you have flexibility. That's mm-hmm. when you can like, maybe you know, have those days where you're not eating as healthfully or not needing to work out a few times a week. And you just, you do, you get more of that metabolic flexibility and obviously protein's a big part of that. So can we talk about the benefits on our metabolism that protein gives us? Yeah. I, I'm not sure I totally understand the question. So I'm going to answer it the best mm-hmm. way that I, when I think of metabolism, I think of chemical processes and energy and energy generating capacity of the body. When I think about metabolism, I think about the energy required by the organs. I think about the brain. I think about the liver. You know, I think about protein turnover. When an individual talks about optimizing metabolism, to me, that means what is the most impactful way in which I can utilize, right? what are the ways in which I can push my metabolism or utilize energy? This is how I think about it. And to me, it's all about optimizing for skeletal muscle mass, not because at rest, 
skeletal muscle is important for metabolism because it's actually not. It accounts for 20% of our resting metabolism, which is not very much. Organs like liver, brain, kidney are much more metabolically active. However, where the real magic of moving the metabolism comes in, in my mind, is about exercise. It is about resistance training. It is about interval training. It is about really putting energy output. And that's why I think about protein and metabolism. And also it's very difficult to overeat protein because of that thermic effect of feeding, because of all of its benefits. Um, you know, those are some of the really key things and, you know, protein turnover, the body's constantly turning over by providing it with adequate protein and really more optimal protein. You protect skeletal muscle. You can account for turnover. You can account for synthesis of, you know, new body parts and new proteins. And, and that's how I think about metabolism. Yeah. And just the more muscle mass we have on our body, the faster our metabolism moves. And even just when we take in protein, because it takes, like we were talking about the thermic effect of food, but it also, it just takes our body. It takes up a lot of energy just to right. To process protein, which mm -hmm. in turn, like we, I kind of say like, you know, think of your metabolism, like a wheel or like a fire and protein kind of gets that fire burning faster or that wheel moving faster. But we also need that protein to support more muscle mass. And the more muscle mass you have on your body, you do, you increase that flexibility by also increasing your metabolism, but not at rest. So that's yeah, just while, while you're moving. Okay. Yeah, so, so interesting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people oftentimes when we repeat something enough, we believe it's true. And I hear people talk about it all the time that the more muscle mass we have, the faster our metabolism, yeah. it's actually but not you have true. to, but you have to be moving to do that. Yeah. You can't just yes. be taking in all this protein and, and sitting. <laughs> so for example, if a person put on 10 kilograms of muscle, Mm -hmm. which is what 20 some pounds. Yep. You only increase your metabolism by 60 calories a day. That's nothing. But if they were moving, but the key where muscle pushes metabolism and it's one, it's ability to dispose of glucose. And number two, it's the activity that you put forth during training is where the real magic happens. And I think yeah. that it's really important to understand because it allows us to understand that muscle mass is important. Utilizing muscle moving in an appropriate way, protecting skeletal muscle is of paramount. Importance. And what would you say in terms of moving, right? And building skeletal muscle is ideal for people, you know, if someone's thinking about, you know, should I be lifting weights X amount of times a week? Should I, what should I be doing? You should definitely get a good trainer. It is about volume and it's about finding the path, the fastest path forward. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, people can say, oh, well, I'm going to the gym and I'm lifting weights four days a week. That means nothing to me. Right. What, what does that mean? And yeah, you know, cause I did that for years. I was still quote working hard, but was I working effective? Not necessarily. So I think getting with a really good coach and I have a few, I always recommend and really being able to understand what that looks like and then training towards goals and making sure volume is high enough and making sure the exertion is high enough. You know, I mean, There's I think science that that's behind it. 
there it is. And, you know, it's, it's just so amazing because I spent wasted so much time in terms of not having a strategic plan. I just kind of did what I felt like it doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. I mean, if you're looking for really trying to get in shape, it doesn't really work. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's great too of having that coach is like the accountability piece of it totally. and just having someone guide you. Yes. Cause you know, a lot of people they're trying to start from, you know, maybe they're listening to this podcast and like, all right, I need to get more muscle mass. I'm going to start lifting weights yeah. tomorrow. Great place. But like start. you said, you still need yeah. the guidance. And also you right. need the guidance. If you've had past injuries yeah. or if you're healing from an injury or things like that, you have to get, and you want to make sure your form is correct because we both know you also don't want to be putting in the effort of lifting weights. And if oh your God. form is incorrect, you're not moving effectively and you've carved out that 30 minutes a day when your kids are out of the house. What do you, you mean? Want, I'm like, yeah. I'm like squatting in one. I've got one screaming, you know, the other one screaming, the other one screaming. And I'm like, let's do push-ups, everybody. Dolly Parton's on. <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. But um, yes. Yes. And people should uh, definitely do what they can. Yeah, exactly. And you just want to make sure when you're carving out that time that you're getting to do it effectively. Being effective. So, yeah. Totally. So seek out guidance. I love that. Um, I saw Gabrielle recently you'd posted about nutrients for muscle health mm -hmm. that often people overlook or are missing. If someone's looking um, to take particular nutrients or supplements, I get the question all the time, like what supplements should I be taking or what are, you know, yeah. for, what do you, do you say fish muscle. oil? <laughs> yeah. So my, my, I mean, which is, a, which is totally true. Oh, right? My like foundational ones yeah. that I think, you know, I can say undoubtedly everyone should be on, um, unless their levels are high enough for any of them, but is, a, you know, taking an omega three as your foundational, a probiotic, a vitamin D. So those three, and then then you have like the next outer layer, right? Which for me is always like a magnesium. I find a lot of people, a B complex works great for them, especially just to support energy levels, metabolism. Um, and then, but then there's also specific ones. Like maybe you need a CoQ10, May, you know, there's just so many, or maybe, you know, throw some curcumin in there if you're having, you know, and that's where it gets a little bit more specific, but omega threes, vitamin D and probiotics, I feel like I can safely say almost everyone needs. Those are kind of my foundational three, but I'm curious for muscle health. What would be some of those nutrients? Um, you know, I put up that post and my friend, Alexis Cohn, you should definitely have her on. Um, I'm like, yeah. so what do you think about this? And she's <laughs> like, well, yeah, this is obvious. This isn't, uh, you know, cause I said that most people don't think about, she's like, this is obvious. And I, you know, I was saying, oh, yeah, okay. She's totally right. It is obvious. Um, the first thing that I think about for muscle health, I think about not, I, I think about high quality protein in the diet. Yeah. I think about red meat. I think about creatine. I think about taurine. I think about glutathione. I think about amino acids. I don't think about supplementation immediately when I think about muscle health other than vitamin D. I do think about omegas because omega-3 fatty acids, while it doesn't necessarily impact muscle protein synthesis, does lower systemic inflammation. I measure it in all my patients. Um, so if I were to say for like your dad, someone like that, you would want to give them on, you would want to put them on creatine. You would want to put them on even a glutathione 
for antioxidant activity. Um, you know, and vitamin D is very important. There's vitamin D receptors in the muscle. What would you say? I'm curious when talking about glutathione, what about an N-acetylcysteine? Doing I mean, it I, you that, could take yeah. the precursor or yeah. not. I mean, I like glutathione because I like, I like a liposomal form. Yep. I think that that's, you know, great form. And I think that people definitely can utilize it, right? I think that there's quite a bit of not to toxic exposure. I don't mean to be nebulous, but there's a lot of exposures and a lot of things that we come in contact with. Listen, is there more now than there was? I don't know, but there's still a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are just because I'm a big, I love taking magnesium, especially at night. And I do feel like I get that muscle relaxation piece mm -hmm. of it. Um, and I also seem to find with most clients, people's magnesiums are low and usually because of stress, because the more stressed out we are, the more magnesium we excrete. What are your thoughts on magnesium for muscle health for, I mean, you know, with muscle contraction, relaxation, I mean, I think that magnesium is very tightly controlled in the body and no. I mean, it's tightly controlled. It's very tightly buffered. I do think that there is benefit from magnesium supplementation as it relates to, you know, brain health, stress, bowel yeah. health. I mean, magnesium is used for so many processes in the body, including ATP. I mean, there's so many things that magnesium does, which you really can't go wrong with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's very beneficial. Um, and I'm curious too. So one thing, and I don't know, Gabrielle, if you've run into it a lot too, but I'll see a lot of people post-workout just doing a protein supplement, like whether it's like a quick shake and zero carbohydrates in it, just straight protein. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the benefits of carbohydrates post-workout Mm -hmm. with it that protein. On, yeah. Yeah. So it just depends on what you're trying to do and what kind of activity. Mm -hmm. If you've done an activity that depletes glycogen, then go ahead and have carbohydrates. If you've just done some lifting and you know, you haven't necessarily gone through a major glycogen depletion, then protein is adequate. It really just depends on the individual's goals and where they're starting out at. I see a lot of people who do one cardio session and then are pounding a smoothie. I think that's wrong. I think that if the goal is to move body composition, you do actually have to prioritize for protein post-workout. If you are going for muscle repair, you should prioritize protein. If you are looking for muscle glycogen repletion, then you can use carbohydrates. The majority of people are not training hard enough to do higher amounts of carbohydrates. There's a rule that um, is in the literature or there's a, you know, some evidence in the literature that can suggest that for high intensity training over 120 beats per minute, then you obviously earn your carbohydrates. That could be anywhere from, you know, it could be anywhere from 30 to 70 grams an hour or higher, right? Um, depending on the kind of activity. Yeah. But I think so people should definitely earn their carbohydrates. So that's what, can you just explain to people if they're listening, they're like, what's a, a like, you know, if I'm using up glycogen stores, what does that mean? Or what type of workout would that be? I mean, it, it typically is a length of time workout, right? So it's, you know, long endurance type workouts versus going to the gym and lifting, 
You're yeah. not using a ton of, or even short high, like really high intensity. Yeah, so that's workouts. anaerobic right? yeah. with this without oxygen. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So really it, it's, I try and look at it too. It's like, if your heart rate, if you're getting your heart rate up a lot during your workouts, or like we said, it's an extended yeah. period of time, right. that's when your muscles are creating more of that space to replenish you know, glycogen stores, or for people listening, you can think of it as like, you know, your stored carbs, right. And you want to replenish that after also to help with muscle synthesis, right. Cause we need, we want the, it to be restored along with protein. Um, so I'm so curious, Gabrielle, now that you've two under two, how, how did you adapt, especially with your newborn making sure you were getting in enough protein and how did you adjust your workouts? You know, once you were finally cleared, cause I know for me, um, I had all these dreams of making, you know, food ahead of time and freezing it. And then we decided to move like a few weeks before he was born to another state. And, um, where, where did had, you move to where uh, you North go? Carolina? From we, California. My husband was on post at, at Fort Bragg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super close. And so we, yeah, that didn't happen. And I know definitely in the first, I mean, the first two weeks were a whirlwind, but it was, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have trouble getting meals in enough protein, things like that. But I, I did. And I ended up relying a lot on, which I love, but like grass fed chomps, beef sticks and things like that, just as a quick, something quick and easy to go to for like a snack or just to get in that protein. But I'm curious, how did you, you know, make sure if it didn't happen, you know, getting in enough protein and keeping up on your workouts once you were cleared? Um, so I started moving really early. I would say that I was bad. I mean, I, I started moving pretty quickly after I had the baby. So I did two natural births and, you know, yeah, I, I was careful, right? That the yeah. first two or three weeks after, but then I was back moving and, you know, I, I didn't wait six weeks to work out actually. Um, so I guess the first question is how did I get my workouts in? I, I just scheduled them right there. It's not something that I have to think about. It's just habitual. And even if I'm tired, I still do it. It's not, it's just part of my lifestyle. And then as it, as it relates to food, well, with the two under twos a lot, and my husband is in medical school. So what we did is we had meals prepared for the first couple of weeks. That's great. And then after that month, um, you know, everything is temporary. So I don't really stress about it. it just, you know, it doesn't have to taste that great. I, what do I care? It's ground beef or it's, here's a crock pot. It's, it's not overly yeah. complicated, you know? Yeah. No, so that's I, I think a... it's just more discipline for me. Yeah. It's just easy. And like getting in the habit too. And I'm sure it's, you know, I think we went through a world when just it being our first, but also, yeah, like the crock pot became our best friend for proteins. Cause it was like, throw a couple like chicken breasts in there and then find your flavor, find your, you know, whether you want to yeah. put in Buffalo sauce or what, or salsa, whatever it was. Um, but I wish we had been more prepared and had made meals before, you know, ahead of time. Yeah. But. I mean, we just had someone, you know, or icon meals or, you know, you can get a meal delivery, whether it's frozen. My husband eats that all the time. Yeah. Or if people I, are asking to make you meals, be specific with what you actually want. Yeah. I mean, listen, no one's going to come over here with uh, a whole bunch of carbs. 
Yeah. No. You know, I mean, people know what I, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the first one is a lot more stressful than the second one. That's what, yeah. I think it's like, you know, first one, especially for us, it was just like, you know, everything's a crash course and you don't know, like I wasn't prepared for my own physical healing. And you, you, you don't know that with each child because that can be different too, you know, with each one is, um, how your actual birth goes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious too, before, cause I know we're running out of time. What, you know, besides, obviously we talked about getting in a lot of protein at each meal, um, your exercise regimen, what are some other just wellness non-negotiables for you or that really help keep you, whether it's de-stressed and kind of just get you through each day to stay healthy and also happy. I think knowing your, oh, I love this question. I think knowing yourself, I feel like a lot of people believe that self-care is a hot bath and kind of relaxing. For me, that's not self-care. I would much rather prefer to be productive or engaged in something or train hard or do something that challenges or stretch or stretches me. Mm-hmm. That to me is more self-caring because the long-lasting benefits of that is more beneficial in my mind, right? I think that we, I think knowing what perpetuates stress, for example, for me, turning away from things that I have to do or turning away from things and telling myself I just need time off actually creates more stress for me. Yeah. Right. But I and love I, and that. I, it's just yeah, knowing yourself yeah, and knowing. I mean, I'm on a mission to change the world. I am not yeah. going to feel good about doing something that distracts me from that. It it actually creates more internal stress than less. Yeah, no, I, I but I love that. It's, you know, we were just talking, we had um, someone else on recently and we were talking about like really living in your truth. And it's kind of similar to that of just knowing yourself and honoring yeah. how you really feel and not just what, yeah, if society's telling you that warm bath is self-care, people tell me trying that, that because some people it's like yeah. you're sitting in that bath and you're like, okay, I could be doing X, Y, and Z and being productive, but I'm sitting in this bath. I'm not even enjoying it, but I'm doing it because everyone says it's self-care. <laughs> Right. So the the question is, what is, I think knowing the, my husband can totally, you know, chill out. Right. So that's okay for him. For me, you know, you have to, you know, an, I would much rather be reading to me. That's more self-care. I I would be, I'm much more inspired for knowledge acquisition than I would be for, you know, doing something else. Yeah. And I think, you know, it ultimately happiness goes back to truly knowing yourself and understanding that I think true deep happiness is not an exchange for time or thing. And I want to unpack that a little bit. True happiness, the thing that makes you happy, happy in the moment is not the thing that is going to sustain joy. And I think yeah. that that's really important to understand. So, I am very careful about moments because I don't exchange, you know, what I would think would make me happy in that moment versus what actually brings me happiness. Yeah. It's like the quicker reward versus the long doesn't bring reward. me happiness. Yeah. We always, we I always look love for the to quick sleep reward. In. <laughs> um, Leo, our baby Leo was up on the, the getting up at four forty five train. Yeah. I would love to go back to bed. 
in that moment, is that going to bring me happiness? Maybe, but then I'm going to be unhappy for the rest of the day because I made a choice based on that moment of feeling good, which is an incorrect, right? That was an incorrect response or not a response that actually is going to move the needle for my life. Oh my gosh. And it's so true. That's, it rings such a bell right now because I am, I'm in the mode of wake up at 5am and work out and have some moments to myself. Yeah. Am I exhausted? How old's your baby? Your baby's really little though. 10 right weeks. Yeah. yeah. So you're like in the thick of it. When I, yeah. when Leo was 10 weeks old, I was thinking, should I be going back to work? I'm being so unproductive and all this other stuff, which was so ridiculous. I should have just chilled out because yeah. in a few weeks later, there it comes. Yeah. You know, but I, I know. Still, yeah. But I still train throughout that. But it's, but it's true. It's like you go through that, you know, I'd rather sleep in, in the moment, but then I am. Yeah. Like you said, I'm miserable the rest of the day because I didn't have my own time. Totally. But if I get up and do it like this morning, got up and did it. And my day, I mean, I'm a better human for it. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's really interesting with thinking about it, that with the taking, not just the gratitude in the moment and the reward in the moment, but thinking about what's going to actually make you happy over time and knowing yourself well enough to know what that is. Yeah. Um, so we do Gabrielle end each episode with a little rapid fire Q and a. So first thing that comes to mind, yes, you can come over and babysit. (laughs) Andrew, yes, you can totally take Leo for a walk. I'm like, we can do a kid swap. (laughs) Um, what is your favorite? And we kind of just talked about, but what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Um, well, number one, I think that stress is probably a good thing. I think it it generates forward movement. Um, so I would say reading. I would say reading and um, knowledge acquisition. Love it. Um, okay. And this could be, we say coffee or tea, or if it's another beverage. Coffee, like at least two shots. And how do you, how do you take your coffee? Do you put anything in it? Um, so it depends. Um, okay. Let me actually share with you. There is a great... I am a caffeine connoisseur. Notice I didn't say coffee. I said caffeine connoisseur. And I will tell you, I will tell you what that means. We will go from black coffee, which I love. I love black rifle coffee. And then there's green coffee, which is sun up green coffee, which is great. It has polyphenols in it. It's one of my favorite companies. I've been drinking them for years. Okay. Or midday, if I am fasting, I will do a almond milk latte with or without collagen, right? I guess with the collagen would not be a fast just for fun. And then later on in the day, and this is all not in one day, people. um, (laughs) Sometimes I will switch like today was not a coffee day. Today I had some tea, green tea, and I'm actually going to train after this. So that is when I will caffeinate myself. I love it. Well, that was, it's, coffee, information, everything. No, I like, that's what I love when I'm like, it's rapid fire, but really tell me everything, but really Um, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Last question. And this is my favorite one, but what's your favorite home cooked meal? And it could be something you don't have to make it. It's just whether it's a family member or just something that makes you feel like warm and cozy. Who doesn't ever make me feel warm and cozy? (laughs) It's the truth, right? I don't have a relationship with food like that, but I will tell you, I love a good brisket and I love Mm. a good beef stew. 
That does sound good. I know. I always take a word. There's people who eat to live and people who just yeah. live to eat, you know, and some people just, eat you know, you know how you do it. You you'll grab your purse and you'll be like, um, was this a cracker from when I was pregnant or was this a cracker from when I was breastfeeding and you find it in the bottom of your purse and it's half open and you're like, no, nah, it's good. <laughs> I love that. You know, um, you can well, find it in your bra top, but listen, yeah, whatever it is. True. It's true. Um, so true. Well, this has been so great. I mean, I, I think just going back to one of the first things you said when we started about, we're all about adding here versus taking away and thinking about that a lot of people are focused on losing fat, right. Or losing weight, but not thinking about adding muscle. And I love that thought behind it. And we talked about so many great tips on how people can do that. So where can people find Gabrielle to get more information, learn more, um, especially if they're on the road to trying to build more muscle? Yes. Well, I am very active on Instagram. You can also find me on YouTube. I do a lot of teaching on YouTube. I am going to be opening up a mentorship course, which will be great. It will be, I will run through a mentorship and also mentorship for physicians. And that will open twice a year. Oh, that's great. Yep. They can contact me on Instagram, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. If people are interested in being a patient, there is an application process and they can find that on my website. Also, I do a newsletter. I write all the stuff myself. I curate the stuff myself. And um, yeah, people can sign up for that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. Um, I know it's, I'm sure with <laughs> two under two, <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so we really appreciate it. And yes. hopefully we can connect again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Based on today's episode, I want you to pick from one of the following two actionable steps, just in case you're already doing one. I want you to either start making sure you're getting at least 25 grams of protein at each meal or start incorporating strength training into your exercise routine two to three times per week. Now, if neither habit is currently a part of your lifestyle, start with one and once you form the habit, incorporate the other. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.